Hey, Northeast Pennsylvania, it's Rob O'Donnell here on WILK News Radio 308. 87 degrees and mostly sunny. Another hot one out there. There were some storms coming in. I heard that EAS warning when I was listening to the Nikki Stone show on the way in, you know, hitting Clark Summit, hitting the Valley Cities, you know, some Dunmore, some Scranton, some Throop, and uh, the rest of the. Uh, Valley areas there, so hopefully they didn't fare too well. You know, I got I got through just before it hit, and I saw the black clouds coming. But uh, you know, you, we're probably going to get some EAS warnings during this show. Hopefully not. Uh, it's Friday, July fourteenth, twenty twenty three. The weekend is almost here for some of you. Some of you, the weekend is here. Some of you, you're off the summers, and uh, every day is a weekend. So hopefully you're enjoying that and recharging those batteries. For when you return to your duties at work, to where someone else gets to tell you what to do other than your kids and your significant other. Uh, lots going on in the news today. Actually, we're going to mix things up a little bit today. Um, you know, I guess the big news of the day is the Gilgo Beach uh, serial killer uh, was allegedly arrested today. I mean, someone was arrested. He is allegedly the uh, suspect for at least four of those homicides. I think they've only connected him to four uh, they're working on the others. He was taken into custody today. He is in handcuffs. Uh, and and this, this is a decades-old case. Uh, this just goes to show you that uh, this is what we call cold cases. Cold cases are when you exhaust all leads and there's really nothing new for the case. Um, you know, it's considered a cold case. Usually they're a couple of years old, um, but they, they don't have to be. Um, and they could be as many as 40, 50, and 60 years old. Uh, these types of cases are never just put in a shelf and forgotten about. There are most departments, most larger departments have a cold case squad that specifically work on investigating these types of cases, cases where they keep going over the evidence. They keep submitting forensic evidence that they had to maybe possibly get a new DNA hit, a new facial recognition hit, a new something out of it. So, so these cases are never forgotten. So you know, for people who think that just because you never found out who uh, today uh, you um, lost my train of thought there. Just because you think that these cases go cold and, and no one's really paying attention to them, uh, that's not true, especially for the bigger cases. And, and this was a multi-jurisdictional joint case. Bodies were found all along the South Shore uh, for miles in an area. The bodies were wrapped in burlap, a lot of them. And uh, mostly women, mostly younger women in their 20s. You know, there was a, a one man and, and one child, I believe, that was also involved in this. But this specific arrest today was uh, made for, uh, was, uh, made for I think, four of those, those homicides, four of those murders, four of those victims. So, uh, you know, we'll see what comes of it now that someone's in custody. Uh, there's new avenues to follow, new questioning, new, uh, you know, forensic that they could possibly get now that they do have someone they can get court orders to to take DNA testing. They can do matching to anything they may have had back then. There is new technology now that could connect the person. Obviously, they have solid evidence, enough for probable cause for arrest and to hopefully indict. Uh, if they did not have an indictment already, I'm not sure because, again, this was just breaking today. I really didn't dive too much into it. So, so that's ma- the main case that's going on. It seems to be you know what's at the forefront now. The, there's also a bunch of other um, issues, and, and we're going to talk about all of them. One I caught uh, while reading 
through the whitehouse.gov uh, you know, briefing room, uh, which I do. I try to do often. I try to do it daily, but I don't get to do it daily. Um, sometimes I don't have the stomach to do it daily. But I found something from late yesterday, later yesterday, that raised my eyebrow a bit. And again, this is straight from uh, whitehouse.gov. If you follow me on social media, you probably already saw this because uh, I posted it there. But Late Later yesterday, by later I mean it was after 3 o'clock yesterday, um, the President of the United States ordered the selected reserve and certain members of the individual ready reserve of the armed forces to active duty. Now you would think this would be a bigger deal and be something that, that was more in the mainstream media and talked about. And it's, uh, it's in regards to Europe. They're activating our reserves to um, to backfill what's called Operation Atlantic Resolve in and around the European theater. Um, with us with, with, with us just being at the NATO summit in Europe, with us um, with an active war going on between Russia and Ukraine um, and all the the uh, supplies and munitions and everything else that we've been giving given to them, uh, this is concerning. This is concerning that the, the president yesterday, under his authority, ordered the, the ready reserves into active duty. Now, it doesn't say how many. It doesn't say what the number is or what their status will be. It just says that they, it, they will be supplying Operation Atlantic Resolve in and around the European theater. I, I put the entire press release on my social media. Again, you can follow me at Rob O'Donnell on Facebook. The press release is there along with the headline. And the link to read it yourself um, directly because, you know, I, I like to when I put something out there, I like to give you the source of exactly where I found it from. So you could research it yourself and read it for yourself. So you're not just getting my my spin on it, my taint on it or just my my stating of it. You know, I want you to see it with your own eyes. And this is concerning. This is, is definitely concerning. Why are we activating our reserves or a portion of our reserves, and now it's, it's, it specifically says the selected reserves and certain members of the individual ready reserves. So it says certain members. So it, it is limited. It's not a blanket. They are not activating the entire reserves to go to Europe, which would be frightening. Um, but nonetheless, without an explanation more in-depth, and again, if it's a military operation, if it's a... Um, you know, backfill operation? Is, is it a show of force? What are we doing with this Operation Atlantic Resolve in and around Europe? And why do we need our reserve contingency there? So, you know, that also dropped late yesterday without much fanfare, without much knowledge. Again, if I wasn't reading through the, uh, the WhiteHouse.gov press briefing room, where it says all the briefings, all the things done for that day from the administration, I, I wouldn't have caught it or, or known about it. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, as someone who has two active duty military children, it, it's concerning. And it should concern all of us because, you know, it's, it's our military here. It's, it's our men and women that are over there, then our neighbors, people who work side by side for us that will now be leaving their jobs that are reservists. Now, they signed up for it, obviously, but they will be leaving their jobs, taking leave to be activated in our military, and it doesn't have a, a, an extent on this. It doesn't say how long it's going to be for. doesn't say for the next couple of months. doesn't say for the next couple of years. Our reserves have been uh, 
beat up is probably a bad word, but they have been uh, utilized a lot more than it's been expected in the past, over the past couple of years, over the past decade. So, uh, you know, if these same people are still in the reserves and still serving, here's just another another tour for them away from their families, away from their neighbors, away from their jobs, and something that, that we should uh, at least monitor. And that's why I put it out there. I don't see there's, – there's nothing nefarious here. I just – I'm not a fan of the way it was done. Late yesterday, a press briefing goes out. It really wasn't in any of the mainstream media. When I did a search on it, really couldn't find it anywhere. The military chats, you know, I saw them in one or two where people were, were raising a flag saying, hey, what's this about? And, and that's what I'm doing to you guys. I think Northeast Pennsylvania, we're a big military town here, a big veteran-based town. I, you know, I think we should be aware that something like this is going on. It's why I bring it to you. The other big thing that, that dropped today, actually first thing this morning, is the Biden administration announcing a $39 billion in student debt relief following the administration fixes, as they call it. They're basically saying they're correcting administrative tracking problems of student loans, and these are federal student loans only. And there's a lot of mixed signals, a lot of misinformation getting put out there. They're saying it's going to affect 804,000 borrowers, and it's going to cost us $39 billion because that's what the debt that our tax dollars would end up settling And it is for federal loans only, federally backed loans. And the way I read it, the way it looks like, and the way it's been explained to me by the experts that I trust, is if you've been paying your loans for 20 or 25 years without an issue, you haven't defaulted, you're allowed to pause your loan like everyone else during the COVID time, so that's fine. Under certain circumstances in your life, you can pause your loans That's fine, but as long as you never defaulted and you paid your loans in good faith for 20 or 25 years, that federal loan will be forgiven. So the majority of the people benefiting from this are over 50 years old. So we are paying $39 billion to settle the outstanding federal debt for people who've paid their loans for the past 20 or 25 years based on their current income. We are paying the debt off from 50-year-olds. So this isn't about people just getting out of college, trying to start, trying to buy a house, trying to start a career, trying to start a family. This is focusing on people who are 50 years old. Their children are probably grown, if not almost grown, and out of the house, or very close to it, high teens at the very least, mid to high teens. This is who the loans are being paid off for. So is that really what the intent of the student debt relief was about? I mean, if you looked at what the Supreme Court was looking about, the majority of student debt out there as a whole are people with advanced degrees, masters or doctorates, and again, higher in age. That's who that, what the Supreme Court stopped would have helped most. And this here is kind of a caveat on that. This is helping... People who donate money to candidates. It's helping people over 50 that have student loans. Now, I understand that there's an income caveat to this, what you're making now. But if you've been paying your loans fine for 20 or 25 years, 
and it's your loans and you didn't make it a priority enough to increase your base amount to pay off that loan so you would pay down your interest or pay down you know, the time to pay back these loans, if you were paying the minimum payment, then why would, she, why, why would we as taxpayers take over that responsibility for them and wipe out their debt at this stage in life? It kind of goes against their arguments of what they've fought for this student debt relief. You know, young people starting a family, starting a career, looking to start a business. You know, all this hanging over their debts just prevents them from, from succeeding in life. Well, if you're in your 50s and you haven't succeeded in life yet, a good chance is, you know, statistically, you're probably not going to go much further than you are now. As a lot of some people do. Matter of fact, probably more than a lot of people do. But do we, is this really on us to pay off the loans of 50-year-olds who've been paying their loans for the past 20, 25 years? I don't think so, but this is kind of the administration coming back and saying, look, we did something. And they'll manipulate it to the younger generation who really is not getting anything out of this to say, oh, look, we, we couldn't help you, but we helped student debt. We kept our promise. They didn't keep any promise. They just manipulated the problem to where uh, it is Friday, folks, to, to where it looks like they did something, but they really didn't do anything. And in the end, it's you or I footing the bill for this $39 billion. It's uh, 322 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 325. We usually do Rob's rundown during this time. But, uh, you know, I asked Jake to pull up the Mr. Roboto music because I, you know, I asked a simple question to, uh, to artificial inte- the Open Artificial Intelligence Chat GBT platform. And I asked it, what are the dangers of artificial intelligence? And the answers may open your eyes. So I wanted to read through them instead of going through Rob's rundown. So my question to this artificial intelligence platform was, you know, what are the dangers of artificial intelligence, AI? The answer was artificial intelligence presents both benefits and potential risks. Some of the dangers associated with AI include job displacement. And again, all these answers are from artificial intelligence itself. Job displacements. AI and automation technologies have the potential to replace certain types of jobs, leading to unemployment or the need for workers to acquire new skills. Number two, bias and discrimination. If AI algorithms are trained on biased or incomplete data, they may produce biased outcomes, perpetuating discrimination or unfair practices. Number three, security vulnerabilities. AI systems can be vulnerable to attacks with potential consequences such as unauthorized access, data breaches, or manipulation of AI systems to produce harmful outcomes. Number four, lack of transparency and accountability. Complex AI algorithms can be difficult to understand and explain, making it challenging to trace back decisions or assign responsibility in cases of errors or malfunctions. Number five, ethical concerns. AI can raise ethical questions, such as the use of AI in autonomous weapon systems, invasion of privacy through surveillance technologies, or potential for AI to manipulate individuals or influence decision-making. 
Number six, and this is where it gets scary, dependency and loss of control. As AI systems become more integrated into various aspects of society, there is a risk of over-reliance and reduced human control over critical processes, which can lead to unintended consequences or loss of decision-making power. They finish off, again, they being AI. It's important to address these risks by implementing robust safeguards, ethical guidelines, and responsible governance to ensure that AI is developed and deployed in a way that benefits humanity while minimizing potential dangers. So that's the answers for AI, what the dangers of AI is to, uh, to us, the human race. And some of, the, uh, some of the answers here are scary. Some of the, they admit there is a danger. AI itself admits that it couldn't be a danger. And if you look at you know, dependency and loss of control, ethical concerns, lack of transparency and accountability, um, security vulnerabilities, bias and discrimination. And the end paragraph from this artificial intelligence platform is, um, you know, it's important to address the risks implementing robust safeguards, ethical guidelines, and responsible governance. Now, do we really trust our government on any of those factors? Implementing robust safeguards. We've seen what the government has done using the FISA and other platforms, the IRS and other platforms that the government agencies that they use. Uh, ethical guidelines, really? We're going to let the government decide the ethical guidelines for artificial intelligence. And responsible governance. We haven't seen that yet in decades here in America. Um, I just don't think our current government has the fortitude to, to, to oversee these things. And again, it could be, it's the way it's programmed, it's the way it's given, it's, it's basically marching orders. And by it, I mean the artificial intelligence. And down the road, it'll be so hard to trace back where those inputs were brought that it's going to be hard to place blame when something goes wrong. And it's, it's, it is scary, this artificial intelligence, what it can do. I mean, we saw it through automation. All the jobs that were lost, you know, in the decades past from automation were made up somewhere else. We have more jobs now than we've had ever before. Um, so I, I'm not really afraid of AI taking jobs permanently. It'll take jobs in the short term, but not the jobs we're thinking it's going to take. It's going to take more high-level jobs. I was listening to Ben Shapiro the other day, and, and this will basically take the jobs of new lawyers, a lot of interns, um, med- the medical field, you know, reading x-rays and such like that is going to be tremendous when it comes to AI because of their success factor, the fact that they, you give them the policies and procedures, you know, for insurance claims, you know, things, it, it, this is more mid to upper level jobs that AI is going to take. When you're a new lawyer in a law firm, you're basically assigned with, with document review. You're reviewing document for the legality, any errors in it or such like that, where, you know, it could take you weeks to go over a thousand documents. I mean, just this court case that I might've had to go to last week, they sent me 500 page documents where AI can go over that in a second and a half. You know, it it took me a couple of nights to start going through it. 
And I still couldn't tell you half of what was in there. So it is a benefit to humanity. And this, this chat GBT platform is something fun to play with. Um, but I've already caught many errors in it that it gives you back because it's the way things are inputted. It's the way it pulls things. And some of it, it pulls it off the Internet. So if things were put on the Internet falsely to begin with, you know, it's not giving you complete data. Now, if you ask it specific historical documents, we're depending on where it's getting from or where it's inputted to get it from, you know, it's beneficial to do things. But I think the answers by AI itself on the question, is AI a danger to us, uh, should be eye-opening for all of us. And again, that's on my social media as well, if you follow me, so you can see all the answers there direct and copy it and share it and, you know, digest it yourself. It's 3.32 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 3.38, 88 degrees and mostly sunny right now on this Friday, July 14th, 2023. Man, this summer's just flying by, isn't it? I I just can't get a grasp on it, like I said, uh, Trying to get into the summer as much as I can. Maybe do some things this weekend, hopefully. Some summer-like things this weekend and put it out so you guys could see what I was doing. And what are your plans for the weekend? Let me know. You can call or text at 570-883-0098 and talk about whatever we're talking about as well. Give us your opinion. Is, is there an alligator in a Pennsylvania pond? That seems to be the concern that's uh, concerning the Pennsylvania Game Commission and Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, you know, basically have the same questions, but allegedly an alligator may have been released into the Bushkill PA Mills Pond, and it's uh, sparking an investigation in just that and concerns for community safety. That doesn't say how large this alligator may or may not be, but in Bushkill PA, this story is coming out of, the Saw Creek Estates Facebook page posted there are allegations of an alligator being released into Mill Pond. The association has received these reports and is currently investigating the situation. It is not yet clear whether the sightings have been substantiated, but authorities are taking this report seriously. Both the PA Game Commission and the PA Fish and Boat Commission have been notified about this matter. In light of this uh, development, the association has advised residents to be vigilant when boating or swimming in Mill Pond. It is important to note that the presence of an alligator in the pond could co- could pose a considerable threat and safety of the community. No kidding. It's an alligator. Alligators are known to be dangerous animals and can attack humans if provoked or threatened. Therefore, it's crucial that everyone remains vigilant and takes precautions to avoid any potential danger. It says if any resident has information that could help with the investigation, they're to email the Saw Creek Estates. But, um, yeah, it's pretty uneasy, especially the middle of the summer. You know, there are swimmers and boaters, especially in these private lakes and these private gated communities. You know, thankfully, um, and I'm not very familiar with Mill Pond, there may be creeks or rivers that feed it and and exit it that may uh, be able to give this alligator uh, egress of escape of this contained area. But it doesn't look like it's a threat to the general public. But any alligator in a Pennsylvania pond was probably an issue. And, um, you know, I haven't seen an update. And this, again, this is from Wednesday. It was reported. But um, it's kind of scary. It wouldn't be the first time. I mean, these things, as they're, they're normally obtained as pets, 
a lot of time they're simple caiman, smaller caiman alligators or crocodiles, whatever a caiman family is in. I'm not sure the difference between the two. But, um, you know, if this is an alligator, enough for people to think that there's one in there, there are obviously alleged sightings of this. Um, it's kind of scary. Now, could it have been a, a beaver or an otter or something where people misidentified it? Most probably, you know, unless there's solid information. But uh, it's enough for the Game Commission and the Fish and Boat Commission, I'm sure, to investigate. They are investigating it, and I'm sure they've set traps or whatever they set for these types of animals in that area. But like I said, it wouldn't be the first. I, I remember when I was with the NYPD, someone in the Bronx had a tiger in his apartment. Up on it was like the sixth floor of his of his residence. He he literally had a tiger in his apartment in the Bronx in New York, or it was upper Upper Manhattan. One of the two. It was hilarious when it came over the radio, but they ended up tranquilizing it and getting it out safely. But somebody had a tiger, a full size tiger, and if you Google it, you could see the picture of it looking out the window of the police officer that was uh, repelling down the side, looking in the window. It's uh, quite funny. So I wouldn't be surprised what people have in their houses as far as pets go. It's uh, 3.42 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show on this Friday in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 3.45. Speaking of owning a tiger, Jake in the room with his quick thinking. Yeah, I wanted to play the actual clip, but uh, I would... It's kind of hard to play Mike Tyson yeah, without curse words. So. Exactly. <laughs> what are you thinking? What are you thinking, Jake? <laughs> Why uh, did you hit him? <laughs> this is my favorite part. It's quiet, quiet. This is my favorite part coming up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, please, if you have exotic animals, um, don't have them. Uh, somebody said, uh, hey, Rob, what pond did you say it was the alligator was in? I thought I would let my mother-in-law use my kayak this weekend. And do you know what, uh, you know, if they make waterproof barbecue sauce? <laughs> That's not nice. There you go, Jake. The quick thinking today on this Friday. Oh, well, you know, on on a not so, you know, cheering, cheery uh, route. It looks like our cluster munitions have uh, are on the ground and have been received in Ukraine. And uh, but Ukraine, Ukraine is uh, pledging its limited use and to document where it's used. So. Um, so minesweepers can go in after. Now, now if you, you're not sure what that means, there's there's a, a larger-than-normal incident rate of these cluster munitions leaving unexploded ordnance on the battlefield, and it spreads them over a wide area. By wide, I mean, you know, hundreds of feet in all directions. So what it does, it's shot, it explodes over the target, showers the target area with these exploding mini-bombs for the most part. And um, in the past, the reason 100 countries have banned these types of munitions is because after the fact, it leaves a very hazardous environment for the citizenry, you know, the civilians after the fact, after the war's over, could be years later. Um, you know, we're, we're finding, we find munitions from World War II in places all the time now, uh, still. So... Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons for this, but Ukraine is pledging to use them sparingly, not use them over populated areas or, or near populated areas, and to document specifically where they are used. So, these again, these minesweeper activities can go in and, and, and use them. Now, 
there's a lot of that going on now because the Russians are renowned for mining, you know, complete areas. It's a European battlefield type strategy where they mine, you know, large areas to to curtail any opposition. Uh, and that's there. And a lot of these minesweeper agencies, some of them private, some of them government, some of them I'm sure are being advised by our military because some of our EOD is some of the best in the world, are the best in the world. And uh, some of them are get, finding them and destroying them. Others are finding them, um, retrieving them so the Ukrainians can reuse them in other areas. And, and these are all different kinds of mines, not these cluster bomb type things. Now, the issue that these cluster bombs bring to us is um, is that um, we said it was a war crime for anyone who used them, and here we are giving them to Ukraine to use. And uh, it, it when they will someday be used against us, and the fa- mere fact that we've put them into the battlefield kind of takes our argument away that they are. Um, Weapons that should not be used. Um, Just looking more into this story now. We'll see how this works out. But Human Rights Watch says that this is a bad move on America's part. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show right after the bloom. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980, 1300 AM or anywhere on that Odyssey app. You can call or text the show at 570-883-0098. We were talking about uh, Ukraine getting our cluster bombs and finally, um, you know, giving us an idea of what they're using with the equipment we're giving them. Let's go to uh, Andrew from Stanhope, New Jersey on cluster bombs. Andrew. Hey, how's it going? I don't know. Uh, I clicked on, so I don't know if you touched on it, but circle back Saki. She didn't circle back when asked if Russia uses cluster bombs. Would you consider that, um, you know, a war crime? Would the president consider that a war crime? Remember that? Yeah, I, I, did, I, said, did, yes. I did bring it up. And it, it, right, oh, at our press, right, at, right at our press uh, podium, they said that the use of cluster bombs is a war crime. Now, I guess, not so much. And it concerns me. You know, I, I understand they're a valid military tool, but over 100 nations have, have outlawed them because of the very reason of this, the collateral damage that they do cause. And you'll like how I tie this story local news i did in wilsbury the easter basket blessing in the ukrainian church and the man describes what it's about it's like shows the wealth of the ukraine we have manufacturing and we have uh you know uh, agriculture we're a rich country so i'm tying that into the the war and the cluster but if they're a wealthy country they have a tax revenue so it's not just our weapons that we give them and our money. They have their own money. So with the $200 billion, plus we gave them weapons, plus they have their own <laughs> weapons and their own, like why are we giving them weapons of any kind at this point? If they want to use illegal weapons, they can manufacture or, buy, or planes. Why aren't they buying their own weapons? Why are we still giving them money at this point? Well, the the world, NATO specifically, has determined that this is a worthy cause to keep Russia at bay. You know, I, I agree the amount and the ongoing and without the without the foreseeing of um, looks like Andrew was dropped out without the foreseeing of um, 
an off-ramp to this war, you know, a, a strategy for peace to, to end this. The negotiations to say, okay, well, you know, you keep Crimea, we won't make Ukraine a nation of, of a NATO for the next 10 years. Vladimir Putin, pull out, stop where you are, let, let, let Ukraine rebuild and leave the population, you know, to have some peace. And we'll figure the rest out later. There seems to be none of that. And, and it's usually the strong hands. And it's, this goes with the release of sanctions on America's part. It goes with, I mean, there's a whole negotiation that happens with this. So I just don't see it happening. And, and hopefully it is happening behind closed doors. But like I said yesterday, um, Zelensky has cornered himself to say, you know, they are going to fight till they win Crimea back. And I think that's a non-starter from the start. I, I don't think most of Crimea wants to be back part of Ukraine. I, I think it's it's it would be it would be uh, irresponsible to to push this war for that kind of end. And um, you know the same thing with Russia. I think Vladimir Putin has been embarrassed by his military's performance in this on the world stage. I think he wants to cut his ties but save face with his with his supporters. And we give him an avenue. That, to do that, and then once that's said and done, you know, we can put our pomp and circumstance out there on how Russia's failed, how Vladimir Putin's failed, that the Russian people need to, you know, take control of their country again. We can go down that road then. But I'm not seeing that staunch um, push for peace here. And the ultimately the ones that are suffering outside of the militaries, outside of the Russian troops who are being forced to fight this war that through all reports don't want to be there to begin with. You know, from the Ukrainian soldiers that are obviously fighting for their homeland, and, you know, they should be, it's the people of Ukraine that are suffering. It's the people of Ukraine, the kids, the moms, the dads, the elderly, that are really um, the ones that we should be seeking peace for. And it doesn't seem like that's a priority, you know, listening to NATO as a whole, listening to our administration, listening to Zelensky, or listening to Putin. So I, I think we need to focus more on, you know, everyone wants to talk about the peace in this world. Well, where is the fighting for that now? Where's the outrage for that? Where's your senators and congressmen coming out and saying we, we need peace there, not to give them weapons? It's uh, almost 4 o'clock here at WIK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show right after these messages.